and Brit. Brad and Brit, the perfect combination of brawn and wit. Politics, sports, and trending shit. Let's tune in to Brad and Brit. It's the Brad and Brit cast. It's our first one of uh, this wonderful week ahead of us. And, and, and I have some, uh, some breaking news just as we uh, begin here in the, the uh, 1.30 hour on uh, Monday. It's official. Monkeypox oh. is primarily spreading through sex. So yeah. stop having sex with monkeys. Never. We'll be fine. Never, never Biden. Never Brandon. You're not going to control my behavior. You don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Of course, I, it's spreading between people. Oh, not yeah. just with monkey. Oh, but, good. Okay. Just, just thought I'd. <laughs> Thanks. You know, because some people that. might think that that we're a a legitimate dispenser of medical information, and no, and so I, I don't want anybody to. Oh yeah, I don't want to see do... the flag. But I do know this: if all you have to do if you get monkeypox is just inject some bleach in your veins, and I think it's it, it, it goes away. I mean, that's that's what the experts say. Oh, so what you're saying is Trump was one disease yeah. too soon. That's what it was. He was early. You know, he was early. Not for nothing. And again, I don't want to deep dive on this because it's too stupid to talk about. Who's having sex with monkeys? Because I think monkeys are extremely strong, and I don't think they would really be into it. I got to be honest with you. Just it just it's just a thing that I think. You know what? You better not. You better not even go there. People are going to wonder how would he know? How would he know? Well, you got to pay extra. Anyway, <sighs> avoid their monkeypox. So we, uh, we 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 got out this weekend. Uh, the the wife and I, as you know, Britt, Can you think of the last time that I went to concerts two nights in a row in my life? Yeah, the answer you... is probably never. <laughs> probably never. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. So Friday uh, in Greensboro, where we live, yeah, uh, the group Chicago performed one night only, and um, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, it's impossible to sing and sound exactly like records that are embedded in your head from 1972. It's never going to be that perfect, but they did a they did a good job with uh, three original members and and four or five newer guys. But yeah, a good time was had, and and I I'll give that one about a six point five. Okay, give that a six point five. I saw um, I saw Chicago twice back in the eighties, and this would be the second or third iteration of the band. It was after Peter Cetera left, and it was the David Foster era. When he had turned them into the synthesizer top forty hit making machine. Yeah, I see. I I, I think the eighties and, and much of the nineties were you know, you know so, soft rock that everybody can agree with in the office. Yeah. Oh, here's here's Chicago. If you exactly. leave me now, exactly. Okay, <laughs> this was All in right. the early in the early seventies. This was a dangerous hard rocking band with their guitarist Terry uh, Kath. They, they had it going on, but yeah. a, a, anyhow, uh, that that was Chicago. I, th- I think uh, it's more interesting what happened Saturday night because. Uh, this is certainly not just made local news. It's certainly made regional news yeah. um, around the Carolinas and wherever people were driving to Winston-Salem to see Paul McCartney at uh, Truist Field, which uh, what that used to be the Meadowlands, right? It had a different name. It was the Me- it was, it was a Crosley Field. Crosley Field 
I believe, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. It was they just keep changing the name. They, can, they can't hold on to a name there. This was uh, this is Paul McCartney's only show on the tour in the Carolinas. This was the only one. Well, he's only doing fourteen across so the country. So, there you go. It, so. Yeah, the, to to play the only show in the Carolinas oh, is well. a. Is a is a bit provincial. It's it, it's a bit. Uh, <laughs> well, it also gives some context. Is in that people can't you know they, it wasn't Charlotte, it wasn't Raleigh. Everybody who was from Charlotte and Raleigh wanted to see Paul McCartney or Columbia or wherever they had to come to Winston Salem. So you know, draw is going to draw a massive crowd. It appears that there are people who came from a lot further than that. Yeah, sure. Okay, a lot of people. Because all right, um, and uh, if you're uh, from our area of the the world, you know that. Saturday afternoon into Saturday evening, we had some just tremendous, you know, springtime thunderstorms ripping through, and it really made things a mess. And so parking was impossible, and the cops didn't have a plan. And it looked like they had never ever had a crowd of more than uh, four hundred people at that stadium, which holds about thirty-five thousand. They were shocked that people were going to be, and. I don't know what what the uh, reasoning was. I don't know whether it was staffing, just incompetence. It was the, re- but a lot of people not only didn't get there for the beginning of the show, which was held up until about eight twenty five instead of eight o'clock, but some people threw in the towel and gave up completely. It was that bad, and I I, I kind of feel bad for them. I mean, they interviewed this doctor, uh, or yeah, it was a doctor or a lawyer from uh, from Raleigh who paid, of course, some ridiculous amount of money for the tickets. He drove over. He couldn't get – he gave up. He drove back. I think it's a lawyer because I was thinking to myself as I was watching this guy, is he going to sue somebody? So that wouldn't be a doctor. Doctors don't sue. They get sued. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel bad about it. I feel very lucky that we uh, we got in and, uh, you know, it was – this shit happens it just it just does so that being said um how was paul mccartney he's 79 years old and will be 80 in three weeks how's he doing and um the guy who reviews this show that was in los angeles a few weeks ago made this point when frank sinatra was 80 he was still trying to sing, and those were the days, and I don't care if you're a Sinatra fan or not, you do remember, if you're old enough, he didn't know the words, yeah. he had to read off the teleprompter, and he had no voice. It was There pitiful. was nothing left. It, it was, was very it sad. Was a complete embarrassment. It was terrible. It was sad. And his family rolled him out on stage because he was the cash cow they had to milk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, Frank Sinatra Jr., right. Remember those stories. Oh, Frank, Sinatra, he, Frank Sinatra Jr. would apologize or at least try to explain to people who were saying, why are you doing this to your poor old man? And he would say, on those nights when he's on stage, he'll look over me and I'll be on the side of the stage and I'll say, fight, Dad, fight. And you're, and, and you're like, That's, why wait, can't wait, you? It's like Rocky Jr. telling Stallone to get out there at age 90. <laughs> it's like, look, fight. dipshit, we understand you and your family have no skills whatsoever and you're just, again, trying to just grab every buck you can but your poor dad's yeah. out here a walking silver alert on stage okay jesus yeah. all right so if 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 i were going to do the headline about paul mccartney for anybody across the country my headline would be it's a miracle the guy is 80 and not only can he walk up the stairs and down the stairs 
and look like he's 45, he is a remarkable physical specimen. Forget the music. He's just in – let's put it this way. I would say at least half of the people who were there who were over 60 could not walk as well as Paul McCartney. They me, couldn't move around as well as McCartney. That's a big deal. Good for him. Let so me, uh, Let me make this comparison because there's been a couple of things that have happened in the past several years. Um, and we've talked about it, you know, uh, Howard, Howard Stern has gone on the apology tour and he's talked to some of the people they trashed and said awful things about like John Babella and brother Wheeze and some of these disc jockeys that he just made miserable. And I was just watching the last dance and they were saying to Michael Jordan, basically, did you have to be such an asshole back when you were famous and successful? Here's a guy in Paul McCartney wasn't an asshole when he was like the most famous guy ever. There's no like awful stories about him. He had a, you know, the marriage of several years ago after his first wife died was pretty awful. And that's about the worst thing anybody's ever said about Paul McCartney as he goes through a difficult divorce. He's been a nice guy. It's hard to believe there's been a guy that nice that's been created, who's so talented, who doesn't years after he achieves monumental worldwide success, doesn't have to say, you know, I had to be an asshole to do it. You know, that, I, and I, I think that's great. I think that's one of the greatest things you can say about Paul McCartney is he's achieved massive worldwide success, and the whole time he's been pretty much a nice guy, right? I I, I can't uh, disagree with that, except all those attributes, of course, apply to me, but I try not to brag about <laughs> it. I want you to tell the story, though. As you're, as you're headed to the show and you're like, I don't know, 15 or 20 miles out, the storms come, and the, the messages from Ticketmaster and from the various DO, the DOT in different places was like, don't listen to your GPS, right? Is that, well, that's what they were doing. No, no, no here, here's what, you know, you get the, the emails ahead of time, and, and the email that came ahead of time was uh, parking uh, maybe, you know, a little weird. There's a couple different places to park, but don't pay attention to your GPS. Watch the, the overhead signs on the highways on Interstate uh, 40 or 421. It's, a, you know, the, the bypass. The Salem Parkway, Brad, is what we're calling it now. Yeah, whatever. <clears throat> the bypass is what I'm going to get if I keep eating the same kind of diet that I'm Correct. Doing. Stop eating the salami. Yeah. Uh, so the sign in the middle of this blazing rainstorm says exit uh, at 282C or something like that, mm -hmm. what, whatever it is. You're right. I'm looking at it. Okay. All right. I look at it. Get this, that exit. It's completely wrong. The, the stadium, Wake Forest University, is north yeah. of the highway, right? Yeah. That cut yeah. through. It's on the north side. This exit is the one that takes you south. Mm -hmm. I swear to God. The, they put it up there. It's like 282C or something, so whatever you, the hell it is. You'd be heading in the direction of Davidson County and Lexington. Yes, and you're, yeah, you're, you're headed in the, the, the direction of South Carolina or whatever. <laughs> you're going the wrong way. Um, but, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm so I, I actually got off at this exit. This can't be right. I yeah. go about a mile and I go, no, this, this is just wrong. And I was able to turn around. No, we made it. We got in there. But how could they make that mistake? I don't know. And why, why won't the media talk about that? Okay, that was up there too. Um, but let's. But so Paul McCartney, uh, besides the fact that he's really, you know, to me, his sound. And I keep reading. Oh, his voice isn't what it used to be. He can't hit the high. He's changed the pitch. 
what the fuck is wrong with you people? Holy shit. Holy shit. So 95, 98% of Paul McCartney's range at age 80 isn't good enough for you. You have to throw in that he doesn't sound like he did at 25. Right. When the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Good point. You win. You win. Um, no, he was, he's there. He's got it. If he didn't have, I don't think that Paul McCartney's going to be the guy who goes out there and is going to be embarrassed and they're going to no. have to grab him by the shirt and say, no, Paul, it's over. He's fairly self-aware of, and he's great. And he, no, just the, stop, just other, stop. Well, the other big story about people uh, who are a little bit older, who are uh, either mounting a comeback or still want to do it. Of course, the Ric Flair story and Ric Flair and Paul McCartney are the same thing. They just didn't save their money enough. So Paul McCartney has to go out and do these tours so that he can eat. And I think that's the saddest Who part. Who said that? <laughs> that's a, it's a joke. Paul McCartney does these things. He does. He's got more money. If he doesn't want to tour, he doesn't want to tour. And like you said, if he's if he feels like he's embarrassing himself, he's going to stop. He's got you know he's got millions upon millions upon hundreds of billions of dollars in the bank. He really enjoys what? touring and doing. I'm sorry. I, I'm confused. I thought you meant that Paul McCartney would become a wrestler. <laughs> the, no, Ric Flair. On I, the other I hand, Ric Flair. On the other hand, is fucking broke. And the reason that we know he's broke is because he says it's not about the money. When Paul, when Ric Flair says it's not about the money, then it is about the money. Uh, yeah, no, Paul McCartney does it because he wants to do it. I, I think all of us, I've been to some of these huge shows before in the stadiums. As I've gotten to be the old man, I don't like those shows. Sometimes that's the only time you're able to see the artist that you want to. That's fine. But I think we've all been, even in the 80s, we've had the experience of traffic being terrible and missing part of the show, Right. I mean, my well, tickets weren't my tickets weren't five hundred dollars, yeah, but yes, I mean, the, I've had that experience. I, I hear you. The last thing I'll say is, and you know, I don't do this. I never do this. <clears throat> I don't do big concerts anymore. I didn't even like doing them when I was twenty five. Right. But, um, you know, we decided to do it, and you just close your eyes and yeah. suck up whatever barriers there are because Correct. you're you're going to do something and see something and someone that you know, is really meaningful to you. And, you know, it, it, is is that stadium a comfortable? No, they're fucking benches yeah. for most. You know, you're sitting on a bench yeah. and it's not comfortable. But you know what? It just didn't matter. And I will say this. We saw Paul McCartney 30 years ago or so at a bigger stadium in, in Raleigh, Carter-Finley Stadium. Carter stadium yeah. And uh, I think uh, anybody that was listening or may recall realizes that i just bitched and bitched the next morning on the radio that i hated it for none of the reasons we've talked about but because i couldn't hear paul mccartney because people were screaming the words to the song and singing along <laughs> with him and i was fearful that 30 years later this might happen again well guess what it did not happen it did not happen at all now it could be a function of the fact that again you know, with 30 years more of better technology, it sounded great. Mm -hmm. Just great. And it wasn't too loud, It was, but it was just perfect. And maybe the fact that the, the audience, by definition, is largely 30 years older than it was then, it, then that's not true. And, and none of us can remember the words, you see. I think that's the... No, it's not that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah. the, the last thing is the cross-section the age 
diversity was stunning. It was not just people my age and, and older, okay? It wasn't just people who are old enough to remember seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan no, yeah. on February 2nd, 1964. It was a lot of people in their 20s and, and 30s, and I think that's fantastic. It is. And I, I just there's a lot of great. There's a lot of yeah. parents that are sharing it with their children, which I think is wonderful. I mean, like my I think mother, these are a lot of children who aren't there with their parent. They are just there because they they uh, that happens they, as well. But I like my like my mother and I have that Bob Seger thing. We've seen Bob Seger together twice. Once when I was like ten, and then a few years ago. So it's cool that if you can if you're able to do the generational thing. But yeah, there are a lot of yeah, there's a lot of kids that are interested in going to it. A lot of people who are way younger in their twenties right. and thirties that want to see Paul McCartney. Well, see, I'm trying to do the math and relate it to when I was a kid compared to the entertainment that my parents oh, forget were it. attracted to. And the gap, oh, not it. numerically, but just psychologically, was so wide. Yeah. And, yes, they did drag me to that Wayne Newton show uh, in, in Miami Beach in 1967 or 68. Right. Um but even then, uh, someone like Wayne Newton was a young guy, and the oldest people that even they were going to see as entertainers might have been in their, their 40s or 50s, that was Sinatra. And, uh, those people weren't that old then. No. And Paul McCartney is goddamn 80 years old. Yeah. And we're th th so the, I guess maybe just technology has expanded everybody's ability to reach back and, and, and music is one continuous thing now. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with that discussion, but there's something, there's something to it. There's something really magical about the fact that the, it is. Uh, you, the, get, the, you, the, you get a kid in their twenties and thirties, man. They just, they want to see a member of wings. Well, it's not and just that somebody who's in their twenties and sees blew, Paul McCartney. Now you, you blew through the joke. Well, I know, I know. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Every, every, every time he did a Beatles song, people booed. They screamed out, "Wings, play That's the wings!" Right. Where's Jet? Come on! Yeah. Well, um, McCartney says this at all his concerts because I've seen you know some video of the one a few weeks ago. He actually says, "So uh, we're going to play a lot of Beatles stuff. We're going to play um, a lot of some wing stuff, and uh, then I'm going to play one or two new songs yeah. and what happens when you play a new song is that you hear nothing and people go out to the bathroom yeah and, so take paul a said, and guess what and paul says and guess what we're going to do it anyway <laughs> and it got a big laugh and off they went. And he played one or two songs that nobody cared about and, uh, that's fine and by the way in in two and a half hours he's he's entitled no sure absolutely um, he can do what he wants to i mean that's the beauty of him is he can there's 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 nothing in paul mccartney's life that he he doesn't want to do that he has to do right there's he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to he doesn't have to go on any show that he doesn't want to he doesn't have to play any show that he doesn't want to he doesn't have to go to in, in any house vacation anywhere but he chooses to do this he, and, he, and i think he appreciates the fact that people do come from you know hundreds of miles around and stuff and it's a huge deal for them i think he appreciates all that yeah uh but someone who's in their 20s who's seeing him now will be able to extend the legend, the life, you know, for the next 60 years. So the Beatles will pass the 100-year mark with people who will have seen them 
mm-hmm. who will still be alive. And, and I think that's, that's a pretty special thing. I mean, Elvis died too young for that to be a thing. You don't hear uh, that. So uh, let's see, Elvis has been dead since 77. Yeah. 45 years or so. But, uh, um, it's just a cool thing. I'm glad we did it. And, um, did you yeah. ever, did I tell you that we had tickets to see Elvis on that final tour? Yeah. At the Asheville Civic Center. And? He died. I think that, that last tour, if I may get into it, was a bit, was the one that was a bit of a shit show. And I think this may have either happened in Greensboro or Norfolk. It was within a couple of years of that last tour. Uh, he's on stage, and he says something to the backup singers uh, on the microphone about smell the smell of catfish coming from their side of the stage. They all happened to be African-American, and they walked off the stage. And uh, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't good. What, 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 is, what is the largest crowd you've been in at a concert? Like the biggest one? It was probably the one in, in uh, Raleigh with, with McCartney. But if, if I could just add into to what yeah. you said. What was Elvis, 44, 45, and already a, a complete physical wreck, yeah. and he died? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, if, if, if he had lived, how old would he be today? I don't know. He, I mean, he could have performed for a while, but, but that's the difference. That's, that's why he, uh, well, he blew it for a lot of reasons, we, but, we but used think to do how the- young he was and he couldn't do anything at that point. Right. He could, he didn't know the words. Right. We used, to do the, um, we used to do the joke about all the fast food places that Elvis missed because he died so young and he would really enjoyed all of them. Uh, you know, Elvis would have seen some sort of a resurgence, I think, in the 80s with the video Music Revolution. He would have been an MTV star. He would have done duets with Michael Jackson. Springsteen would have had him on stage if he had just been able to get away from Dr. Nick's pill factory. He might have been able to really have a, a comeback in the 80s. No, I, I disagree. I think he would have been head of the FBI, but that's just me. <laughs> there <Yeah>. are... <laughs> there are two, there's two, two movies... About the uh, the Nixon Elvis meeting, the two different ones, and Michael Shannon actually plays Elvis in one of them, and they're both just a hoot and a holler. And Kevin Spacey, who we can't talk about anymore, does make a brief appearance as Nixon in the one with Michael Shannon. So if you ever get a chance to look those up about that entire episode of Elvis meeting Nixon, treat yourself because it's amazing. The whole story is just impossible to believe. Yeah. Oh boy, you know. Uh, just just since we have been on, uh, the world is is uh, getting tighter and tighter and more tense. Uh, Airbnb, they're out of China now. No more Airbnb in China. I know that you weren't traveling there, but there's a point that's being made, obviously, by that. Uh, who is it? Starbucks is uh, closing everything in Russia. They've thrown in the towel there. So we're uh, we're we are headed back to. If not a cold war, how about a frozen war? Uh, not pretty. Not a pretty sight. Uh, you want the, the list? News, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the big we should talk you about the ahead. big the big news being on uh, President Biden's Asian tour is that uh, he said that the United States would militarily intervene if China attacked Taiwan. Uh, the, there's a lot of walk back coming from the communications folks at the White House who always kind of seem to have to clean up stuff like this. And they insist there's been no policy change. This is what we've done all along. The president is not being more forceful. But I think this is 
a little problematic for the president because then it brings up the, well, if you're going to intervene militarily with Taiwan, what's the difference between Taiwan and Ukraine? Why are you not intervening militarily in Ukraine? It becomes, don't you think, a little bit problematic? Uh, I uh, 100% disagree. Okay. Uh, first of all, we are intervening militarily in Ukraine. Well, not with boots on the ground, as they say, well, obviously. But did, did he say we'd be sending in troops to Taiwan? The answer is no. This is the same policy mm-hmm. we have had for 40 years. So because Joe Biden says the thing that shouldn't be said, but everyone knows is true, um, you know, he's a jerk. The problem, of course, is that every time Joe Biden is at a press conference, and every reporter there is thinking, what question can I get at him that he will off the cuff answer in a provocative way and make me famous? Mm-hmm. So it happened again. On the other hand, Joe Biden and his staff should have known this question was going to come. They should have had an answer prepared. But you know what? I think this was the answer that Joe Biden wanted to give. And what if he would have said no? Are you are, is the United States prepared to uh, uh, intervene? At all, if China invades Taiwan and and Joe Biden says no, what would be the response? But oh, he's weak. He's afraid of China. He's in the pocket. Hunter Biden got a billion dollars. Of course, go. he can't say anything mean. All right, this so is this, this is how. It, but this is how this is how they play it on Fox News. They, they go the way that you did. Well, there's Joe Biden kissing China's ass and rolling out the red carpet for the Tricons. Or if he says, hey. We're going to intervene militarily. There knows Joe Biden. Get us involved in another war that's useless for America. Because, you know, as you right. know, Joe Biden got us involved and was the architect of the Iraq war, which was a disaster for America. That's what happened. And it was terrible. And Joe Biden never should have done that. <laughs> um, the policy, as far as I know, which was put in place and, and kind of solidified, Uh, under Nixon, is the famous one-China policy. Mm -hmm. One-China policy is, of course, a facade. It says to China, which is, well, they've said forever that that little island of Taiwan is part of China. Mm -hmm. But, of course, it really isn't. It's a self-governing area that the uh, communist Chinese have, have nothing to do with. But they want to pretend that it's theirs and they're always threatening and they want it. And of course there's, there's freedom on Taiwan. It's a, it's a, it's a free place. Sure. Um, so we play this game and we're going to allow you China to pretend that uh, Taiwan is under your, you know, you can have it anytime you want. You can, you can park your car anytime you want on, on Taiwan. We won't, but implicit, is always don't even think about fucking with Taiwan. Don't even don't go there. Don't go there. So what's happened to Taiwan in all these years? It's economically, it's it's a it's a wonder. Uh, there are so many brilliant people that have come to the United States yeah. from Taiwan. Uh, a lot of famous uh, people have started companies, and it's just a brilliant place. That company, Taiwan Semiconductor. I mean, they're they're the biggest they're the biggest in the world. In that, I mean, what, what China is going to bomb that factory? They're going to do that like the steel factory in uh, Ukraine. They're going to show that is, that is that their plan to to fuck up the whole world that way? Is, that'll show them because you know they don't need any semiconductors in China, no. right? 
they, they, they're still using bamboo and shit, to, right? It's not a very modern country. That, you know, the, the Chinese are an, an expansionary power when they can, but they're much more um, deliberate about it and, and more subtle, even if they're explicitly obnoxious, than Russia is. Because, mm-hmm. you know, China is a powerful country, and they do have a powerful military, a real one, and they do have a gigantic economy that is uh, rival. It rivals ours. Russia doesn't, so they're the real thing. Uh, so for for Joe Biden to to answer, yeah, we're going to protect. We're going to stand up for our friends. Oh, what a terrible idea! Oh, what a moron! I don't. What, I don't. What what a, what a dope. I personally, what, what an I, idiot. I, I, I just want to go like, on record as saying I don't have a problem with what he said. I really don't. But, I don't. Wait, I don't Brit, think he got over his skis or anything like that. But Brit, this is just like uh, two months ago when he said Putin's a war criminal. Remember that? That's oh the my, end of the war. Oh my God! Oh, how dare yeah, you? Remember, remember what the response was? Oh, now that he said that, Russia's really going to be mad. Oh, they're going to be pissed. Yeah, I think yeah. we see. <laughs> but you're seeing a common thread with um, the the Communist Party in China and also. Putin, who is at his heart a communist, they always have to really, they have to have a big dick contest every now and again. And they always have to feel like, hey, Belarus, we can have you anytime we want to. Hey, Ukraine, we can have you anytime you want to. Same thing with China. Hey, Taiwan, anytime we want to, we can reach out to you because we got to appear strong, right? Appearance is always, it's got to be, it's like a psychological thing. It may not make a lot of economic sense or whatever, but we got to just, we're going to reach out and we can fucking have you anytime you want to. And we're just allowing you to have this little freedom flirtation that you're having. But at some point in time, we reach out the big fist and we take you down, right? That's, that, that seems to be the common thread. Well, um, they would have to make a calculation that you can't even begin to imagine what would go into it to decide to really make a military move on Taiwan. Because I, I think you'd have an, an instant worldwide recession. Mm. You'd have financial collapse. I mean, I, I, this is just off the top of my head. The, the, the problems associated with that are just, they're unending. They're unending. And um, the China has this problem, I think. This is just me talking. They've now got too many really well-educated people there who have achieved some level of success. Yes, there are still probably 400 million impoverished Chinese out of the countryside. We don't see sure. them. Yeah. We, see, we see their glistening cities. We see their airports that look fantastic. Yeah. We see highways that look great. We see all that kind of stuff. And the the, the problem is it's not 1947 anymore. Mao isn't the uh, head of the no. country. No. And and uh, you, you can't, for instance, lock everyone up in a city of 25 million demanding uh, zero COVID cases without people getting a little itchy. And that's what's happened. And not a question of democracy or communism it is you can't fuck with that many people they got way too many people the law of large numbers uh doesn't allow china to do what we think they would do in the worst circumstances i believe and i know that they have a government that's not representative of what a lot of people may think over there and people have to shut up and it's a it's yeah. a dictatorship and there's censorship <laughs> and you're not allowed to say this and that but um there's just nothing wrong with an American president showing strength, is there? 
oh no, it's only okay if Donald Trump does it, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. a strong leader. And what it's like fucking shit. And what it's like it's like strength against like some reporter on you know some website that called yeah. him a turd or something, and he's got to slap wait, him down. Wait, Brit, it's strength against Doctor Deborah Burks. <laughs> right. I know you saw the story. Yeah, I saw it. You know you saw the story. It's at the, it's at the top of Mediaite this afternoon, and what what's just stunning and i know we repeat ourselves year after year after year what's so unbelievable is how trump will lie about something that is so demonstrably yeah false gas that, i mean it, it's not a, a question i mean today he's claiming that he fired her yeah. he got rid of her yeah and of course that's not true she was there all the way through the end of the administration and that's because in her book, you know, she gets a little bit more truthful than the uh, silent wallflower that we saw her on be on that day when when it was bleach and, and, and putting a fluorescent bulb up your ass that Trump was proposing as a as a cure for covid. Um, but so she got the last word in the book. And so what's Trump's response to lie mm -hmm. to, to, to lie about getting rid of her you didn't get rid of her you didn't say you're fired god he, and then, then he, he, kill, he, he kills her with the scarf thing i don't think she can come back from that yeah and no. by the way if i just may say this and and I, I hope this uh uh this doesn't offend the ladies or the men's women's look but i've seen her in the last few weeks on some interview shows and now that she's not working for the government in some official position anymore right now, she doesn't have her hair up in that, that eighth grade teacher the bun, bun that, yeah. that your eighth that she used to have. She's got her hair down. And you know what? She's a damn attractive, good-looking woman. Sure. So what's Trump's attempt to trash her, right, by attacking the way she's dressed? Of course. Oh, fuck you. Get out of here. Hey, Just since we're get out of here. since we're on that topic and we're talking about books and we're talking about fuck you to the Trump family, have you seen any of the reviews to the Kellyanne book? I have. Yeah, I have seen it. Uh, now she seems to be the one person who is writing one of these books saying, "Oh, it could have been so much worse," and we stopped him from himself. She apparently has decided she still wants to be on the Trump train. She goes pretty hard after Kushner, but there was one particular piece of it that just it just ground my gears. She's a uh, Ivanka comes in one day and she knows that there's some friction in the Conway marriage because George Conway is tweeting all these things about it, how he hates, you know, Donald Trump. And she's getting all Kellyanne's getting all these questions. Ivanka gives uh, Kellyanne a list of like, like two marriage counselors in the area that uh -huh. she can call and they can talk to. And and Kellyanne dutifully takes it to her husband and she says, what about this guy? And he dismisses that one. And while he's looking at his phone, he goes, yeah, sure. The second one's fine. And they never go. Ivanka, fuck you. Don't have, what, what, what is wrong with you? That you would feel comfortable. It, your marriage is more fucked up than any five marriages I could name. And you're going to go and you're going you're gonna to start throwing down marriage counselor stuff to Kellyanne Conway? You can kiss all of my ass, Ivanka Trump. You and your stupid penis-shaped husband can go kiss every bit of my ass. That, that to me, I would, I would be like, if that, that's one of those times where Kellyanne's like, I'm resigning. I'm deleting you from my phone. I don't want to talk to you or anybody that's got any DNA that resembles yours ever again. And you can go jump off a cliff. 
Um, I, I think if that's, if that's a true story, and remember, we don't know if it's a true story. Correct. For, for, of all the books that are going to come out, which do you think might be most likely to be, uh, how should we say, full of alternative stories, alternative facts? It, it would be Kellyanne Conway. Um, but she she addresses, at least according to the the write-ups that I've seen, um, George Conway, her husband, who, of course, has been on Twitter for for years just uh, attacking the shit out of Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. his wife's boss. Mm -hmm. And so this is what it says. It says um, she takes a jab at her husband's Twitter account. Oh, really? No, the the Twitter account is not a person. Okay. Okay, you don't. Yes, Britt, I'm going to attack your mailbox today. (laughs) She likens to another woman in sucking up much of George's attention. He has sent 100,000 tweets, Conway writes. We know what he thinks. Time for me to talk. Um, Democracy will survive. America will survive. George and I may not survive. And, uh, then the write-up mentions what you just did about Ivanka recommending marriage counselors, and we we never went. Um, so do you do you really think that Ivanka had like an altruistic view when she was putting that? She really cared about the Conway's marriage. Oh, do you think that's why yeah, she did that? Course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, Jesus. It, it did out of the goodness of her heart. And, and, and by the way, how would she know the names <laughs> of marriage counselors in the D.C. area? How would she know them? <laughs> Of all the books that have been written about this administration, I'm talking Bill Barr and Esper and Stephanie Grisham, and you can go on and on. This one is going to be the most, I think, useless and obsequious and ridiculous. And there's, that's the one I would never under any circumstances read, listen to, browse through. She's not going to be in any way. She, she does everything but criticize Donald Trump. She still wants to kiss all of the ass of that family. It says here about Jared. <laughs> She calls him shrewd and calculating, a man of knowing nods, N-O-D-S, quizzical looks, and sidebar inquiries. She said there was no subject he considered beyond his expertise. Yeah. I like that line. That's a good one. And even if Martians attacked the planet, Kushner would have, quote, happily added them to his ever-bulging portfolio. (laughs) That's a good line. No matter how disastrous a personal change or legislative attempt may be, he was unlikely to be held accountable of course not and you know to this very minute he's out there uh uh, padding his his portfolio and sucking up to the saudis and and oh well listen who does that sound like a guy who thinks he knows everything about everything smarter than anybody and doesn't want any accountability she married her father i mean I, i know i'm breaking some news here i know that that's a stunning observation they say this a lot of times you end up marrying your parents but she 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 married her dad one way or the other She calls Trump a generous, respectful, engaging, and empowering feminist. Yes. Yes. Who helped her crack the glass ceilings that had never been dinged before as his campaign manager. She does offer at least two juicy tidbits on him. He considered leaving the presidential race after the uh, Access Hollywood tape came out, more popularly known as the Hollywood Access tape. (laughs) 
By the yeah. way, do you know you know what feminists frequently say? You grab him by the pussy. Yeah, I think Susan he offered her. Said it. I think Gloria Steinem said it. Oh, you're a great feminist. Said that. Wait, wait. He offered Kellyanne Conway a pardon. Yeah. And and she said, well, why would I need a pardon? Yeah. And Trump says back because they go after everybody, honey. But you know, you know my husband. Off. You know my husband's been practicing law for a while, right? You you do get that, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right that's, that's that's just enough of her we'll see now the question is well would she go on uh book tour beyond right-wing media will, will she will she go on cnn oh, will no. she go on um msnbc will, will she go on c-span even Right, you if can get, man. You can have your shit handed to you on C-SPAN you if can, you're that kind of character. If right? I'm her, if I'm her publicist, I book her on the View, and then those those women yell at her. That gets all sorts of right wing uh, outrage worked yeah. up, and then all of a sudden she sells some books. That's what I do if I'm her publicist. I'm sorry to give those people an idea. I think they're probably smarter than me anyway, well, and they I, figured it out. Well, all right, how about this one, Britt? Colbert? No, I just I I think that's going to be a bad booking for her, but I would love to see it. I would really love to see it. Colbert does make an appearance on the new George Carlin thing on HBO Max. If you get an opportunity, uh, it's Judd Apatow with a big two-parter on. Yeah, uh, I, start, I started Carlin. watching it last night and fell fell asleep a half hour, and not because it was a boring show, but I all I just fall asleep watching TV very often. Early from what I've seen, this does appear to be like the definitive, you know, biography or documentary of, of George Carlin's life. So, well, all, all I can tell you, Britt, is I had the the uh, uh, the segment, the wonderful wino segment from uh, from George Carlin. Wonderful wino radio. I had it all down. I used to do it in in class. Ah, fantastic! Obviously, you can see why I got beat up a lot. People people don't know the story a lot. When Brad was working in radio in the early eighties, he worked at an all comedy radio station at an AM station in Washington D.C. And I'm assuming you played a lot of George Carlin cuts and stuff like oh, that, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 uh, interesting part of of the story, if we need to to tell the interesting part, which I guess we should. We should. And by the way, if if you Google WJOK Radio, you'll see yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff that people have collected uh, about it, and not just the uh, the bumper stickers and but but uh, a lot of the facts about how it came and how how it went um but uh after 10 o'clock we played everything yeah everything it, it all the records and all the comedy nonsense that had not just the seven dirty words yeah. but the uh, next seven and the next seven after that didn't matter whether it was robin williams or george carlin red fox uh, red fox all, all, all that stuff and um Remember what year this is. This is 1983, 84. Mm -hmm. uh, Reagan is president. Uh, this was the year of the famous uh, 4th of July concert that uh, almost oh, got canceled because yeah. of the Beach Boys. James and Watt. Just all kinds of bullshit that was yeah, going on. Right. But at, this, at the same time, there we were uh, playing – you know the filthiest stuff ever and we just put a little disclaimer up there if this offends you after 10 o'clock change the the dial and 
Ronald Reagan's FCC never said a word. We had fans. We know we had fans there. One of the one of the guys who was uh, a stand-up comedian and an FCC commissioner at the same time. That's an interesting combination. I can't remember his name. Dan, shit, somebody will know this. I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll come up with it tomorrow. He used to come to the station. And anyway, so, but, so when we talk about that era, um, at least to me, at least in that one little slice of the world, yeah. uh, there was a lot of tolerance. And, uh, the, and remember, that comedy, even if you hear it now, it's offensive. Yes, yeah. on Sirius XM, they have a couple channels, I think, that yeah. just play anything. But that's satellite radio. They're not subject to FCC right. rules. They can play anything. But back then, um, think of what television looked like in the early 1980s. Man, it was, it was buttoned up. It, you, um, so I guess that just gets us back to, uh, just gets back to today here. Uh, but George Carlin, you know. Look, that if you want to do the famous Mount Rushmore for four people, you know, he he just has to be on there. He has to be on. I think if you if you have somebody who says they're a fan of comedy, they don't have him as one of the three best stand-ups ever. Right? Well, it's it's not just that. I believe right now at this moment, more of his stuff is being sent around. Yeah, more clips of what he said fifteen or twenty years ago about the same subjects that never change, whether it's abortion or war or um, the environment. Nothing's changed. The arguments are the same. Nothing's different. So George Carlin is, to go with the big cliche, is as fresh today as he was when he spoke those words. And uh, what did he do about 15 HBO oh, God. specials? I mean, yeah. there's enough stuff just from those, which, of course... Those are those are perfect recordings, perfect, mm -hmm. perfect clips of of Carlin. And, you know, when he did those shows, he must have spent months writing and and fashioning it perfect. And if George Carlin stands for anything, it's the perfect, precise use of the English language above and beyond what anyone since has been able to achieve. He was right. that studious. He was that precise. The only the guy I can think of who the only guy I can think of who had a career that long was um, who was the guy that did Fat Albert. Whatever happened to that guy? 